you see this picture, it's of a road, a bend in the road. And uh, you can't quite see the end of the road. You can just barely see around the bend. But you see what's at the end, don't you? There's the light. We don't always see very far in our journey. When we're walking with the Lord, He doesn't show us everything along the journey. We can see the end. We can see the light. We can see uh, Christ. We, can even, we even know by faith that heaven's awaiting us. But while we're walking this road, we're not quite sure exactly what we're going to encounter. Sometimes it's light like this, and other times it may be dark, where you can't even see one step in front of you. As we face this new year, we don't know what it holds. We make plans, but there are still many unknowns in this life. Will things work out this year the way we hope they will, and the way that we plan for them to? Will the things that we planned even happen at all? And uh, what will happen this year that we're not even expecting? Well, the Bible tells us in James chapter 4, verse 13 to 16, he says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. We don't know. You know, I've got my schedule pretty well full already for tomorrow. But I don't even know if tomorrow's coming. And if it's the Lord's will, I'll meet those appointments that I have. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord lives, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. So we have to remember when we're facing life is that it's full of unknowns. And we just have to trust God. It is a man's heart, the Bible says in Proverbs, that plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. We've got to make plans, certainly, but we have to trust the Lord in those plans and that God may turn us completely around in the process or turn us to the left or turn us to the right or, or keep us straight on or we just don't know. We just have to trust God. So we have to live with all these unknowns. Our families, our friends, and our careers lead us to places where the outcome is not always apparent or guaranteed. Will we experience triumph or tragedy? Treasure or tribulation? Or both? In this journey into the unknown, there's one constant, one thing that we can always know. And that is that God is with us, He is for us, and He knows what we do not. He will never lead us where He cannot be. He will never lead us where He would forsake us. During this four-week series, we're going to examine four profound moments in Abraham's life. God's call on his life, God's covenant with him, God's timing in his life, and God's provision in his life. And we're going to discover the development of Abraham's faith and his obedience and his patience and see that it's not that much different from our own. 
We tend to hold folks like Abraham and Moses and Paul up on these high pedestals and think that somehow they were far different than we were and their experience was far uh, more spiritual and supernatural than ours was. But we realize when we really examine their lives that they're not much different than you and me. That their faith was at an infant point at one time. And it had to grow and it had to progress. Just like our faith began in infancy and had to grow and progress. So, first of all, let's talk about this first aspect tonight. Is we're going to talk about uh, God's call on Abraham's life. So I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 9. And uh, we're going to read those first nine verses. Genesis chapter 12, it's not going to be on the screen, so you might want to grab your Bibles. Genesis 12, 1 through 9. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarah his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Morah. And the Canaanites were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. Think about it. If God asked you to leave everything familiar, could you do it? I'm not asking for a response. I'm asking for just you to think about this. If God asked you to leave everything familiar, could you do it? God called Abram to move away from his comfortable home and go to an unfamiliar, in fact, an unknown place. And that calling moved Abraham closer to God's ultimate plan for his life. The same is true for each of us. When God calls us to something, it's not just about the something. It's about God drawing us closer to Him and fulfilling His ultimate plan through us. Let me just illustrate it with this video.
know, sometimes that's all we can do is just uh, keep moving forward. Because we don't really always know where we're going. In this modern day illustration of Abraham and Sarah, you're going to see over the next four weeks uh, more of how God's plan unfolded in, in his life and as we study the scriptures. Um, there are two parts to God's call in Abraham's life, and I think it probably translates into ours as well. First of all, there's God's command. That's what he says in chapter 12 and verse 1. And that command was, get out. Get out. Get out from what? Well, he said, your country. Where you were born. Your homeland. Leave your, that which is familiar to you, that which is comfortable to you. Then he said, get out from your family. Leave the people that are familiar to you, that know you. Fam the idea of family is we can become dependent upon them. God called Abraham out of his country, out of the comfortable, out of the familiar, out of that, those that he would tend to depend upon completely away from to where he had to trust God only and come to know God only. And then he said, get out of your father's house. The father's house, that is, and, and he, that doesn't mean that Abram lived under his father's roof, but it was the idea of that they all lived a clan lifestyle where uh, the patriarch was kind of the authority figure. He provided the protection and the provision for the whole clan. And, and God said, I want you to leave that authority. I want you to leave that protection and that provision. And I want you to go completely out from under that and trust me only. You look at those three things and what are those three things? How do... What, represent in your life? What is it that, that you're comfortable with that God, you would have a tr hard time giving up? Or what is it that you're dependent upon? Or who is it that you're dependent upon? Who are you looking to for protection and provision? So God's command, was told, he told Abraham, he said, get out away from all of these things and and we need to examine when we're trying to face the unknown and trying to live this life of faith that, that there are things in this life that we that are not so dependable as we think they are. In other words, yes, we can depend upon our family, but our family won't always be here. We lose family members, don't we? Our homeland, sometimes God moves us to a different place and, and we have to get out of the comfortable. And then what are we going to do? He shakes our, our lives up, turns them sometimes upside down. That's what he was doing here with Abraham. He said, get out. And then he said, go to. But that was not very specific. He, he just said, go to the land that I will show you. In other words, there was some trust involved here that Abraham had to really stay connected to God to really... Uh, get the sense of where he was going. And many times in his life, he, he did not know where he was going. We find, if you read the account of Abraham, 
through Genesis 12 and following, you find that he went places he probably shouldn't have been, and he did things he probably shouldn't have done. So what we see here is that um, Abraham is being called to exchange the known, his country, his family, his father's house, for the unknown. The familiar with the strange. The comfortable with the uncomfortable. The seen for the unseen. And the tangible for the intangible. Now let me go over that again. And, and I want you to translate in your life what those things are for you. What are, what are those things for you? What's the comfortable things in your life that, you, that God would say, maybe that's what I want you to give up. What are the, the seen things, the familiar things, the tangible things? And see, God called them to leave all of that. So God's call is two parts. It's a, His command, but it's also... And by the way, before I go to the next thing, Hebrews 11.8. Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith. And we learned some things about Abram in Hebrews 11 that, high, that really magnifies Genesis 12. And following. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out. That's what God told him to do, go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out. And what's that last phrase? Would you sign up for that? God calls your name and says, I want you to leave all this. And I want you to go. And what's your first question? Where? That'd be my first question. Where? And God said, I'll show you. Almost nonchalantly, I'll show you. Would you sign up for that? Well, God, I'll go, but you've got to show me where and how. And are my needs going to be met? Am I going to be able to take care of my family? And am I going to do this and this and this? And we're going to have this long list for God to do before we actually obey Him. We think it's got to all fall into place before we obey then we discern, we decide it's God's will because all this stuff fell into place. What if God just said, go, and your house didn't sell? Ivan and Sue. Would you go? Some say, well, it was God's will because I put my house on the market and it sold the next day. So the devil can do stuff like that too. Well, it wasn't God's will because I put my house on the market and it didn't sell, so I'm staying. See, things don't fall into place like we think they're supposed to fall into place in discerning God's will. It doesn't work out in that nice, neat little package always. Sometimes it does, but not always. It didn't for Abraham. But with that, with God's call comes the second part of, I mean, with God's command comes the second part of God's call, and that's God's promise. Now look, notice verse, verses 2 and 3. He said, what? I will. They say, wait a minute, that was last year's. We did I will already. No, this is not us saying to God, I will. This is God saying to us, I will. And by the way, that phrase appears five times in these two verses, but it includes seven promises. In two verses, the, word, the phrase, I will, appears five times and includes seven promises. God says, I will make you a great nation, Abraham. I will bless you. Abraham, I will make your name great, Abraham. I will, or you shall be, I will make you a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. I will bless all the families of the earth through you. Five I wills, seven blessings, seven promises. You see, here's the point. God says, I want you to get out away from your family, your country, your father's house. Abram, I'm asking you to give up a lot. I know. That's a lot to give up. But here's what I'm going to do for you. Bam, ba, 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 bam. You see, God's part is always greater than our part. What we give up never for God never compares to what God gives us when we obey. You can't compare the two. And we know the whole story. We know the end chapter. We know how God blessed Abraham. We know how all the families in the earth are blessed through Abraham. Abraham did not have the luxury of seeing the big picture, but we have the luxury of seeing the big picture. And so we know that when Abraham made that giant step of faith and left those things, we see how God fulfilled greatly, impacted this whole world through Abraham's obedience. Now, do you think he only did that for one man? And he said, I'm not going to do that to any, for anybody else? Or do you think that maybe you, he's called you in the same way, to impact, have the, a measure of impact that you could not even begin to imagine this side of heaven. How much greater is God's part? God obligates himself far more than he obligates us. He said, Abraham, three things I'm asking you to give up, seven things I'll give you. It's far more blessed to follow God, to trust God in the unknown than to stay in the safe zone because of fear and doubt. Well, Abraham had to make a response, didn't he? Um, he, had a, he had a choice. He commanded Abraham, get out, but Abram could have said, no, I'm, I'm going to stay here. But his first response was that, that he obeyed. Verse 4 says, Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. He obeyed. But here's the question. And here's where you're going to see how Abram really struggled with this uh, infant faith of his. But was Abraham's obedience immediate and perfect? Now, at a glance reading, you would think, yeah. He perfectly obeyed. He immediately obeyed. He departed. Well, this is me putting Scripture to Scripture and trying to interpret Scripture with Scripture. But let me suggest that his obedience was neither immediate nor perfect. Just like mine. Is often not immediate nor perfect. Just like yours often is not immediate 
nor perfect. So let's, let me give you an example of his imperfect obedience. God says, get out from your family. Well, that verse we just read in verse 4 says, and Lot went with him. Well, who was Lot? His nephew. Lot was his brother's son. Lot caused Abraham, because he went with Abraham, because Abraham took him and didn't perfectly obey, Lot was a thorn in Abraham's side and still is to this day, in a manner of speaking. Let's give some examples. First of all, in chapter 13... Verse 5, Lot also who went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, then I'll go to the left. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the Garden of Eden, like the land of Egypt as you go toward Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. And Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. <coughs> so the first problem that Lot caused for Abram was strife in their family, family strife. There was another problem. In chapter 14 we read where the kings, five kings, came against Sodom and Gomorrah and took Lot and it says... Um, in chapter 14, in verse 12, they also took Lot. They took all the goods, verse 11, of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions. They also took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods and departed. And then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre the Amorite. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 380 18 trained servants who were born in his own house and went pursued as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. So he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot, calls him his brother, but it was really his nephew and his goods as well as the women and the people. So now we have Abram having to be distracted from his call to go rescue his nephew. Then in chapter 18... We read where God reveals through these heavenly visitors that come to visit he and Sarah. First of all, they reveal to Abraham and Sarah that they're going to have a son. But they also reveal to Abraham in that visit that uh, God's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham, you know the story well, as he begins to pray for Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says, Lord, if, if you can find a uh, hundred righteous men, would you spare the city for a hundred? Surely you're a merciful God. He said, yeah, if I can find a hundred, I'll spare it. He brings it down to 50. God, Abraham says, Lord, for the sake of 50, how about 40? All the way down to 10. And um, 
God couldn't even find ten righteous men in those two cities. And Lot and his wife and daughters and sons-in-law still had trouble leaving, even after they had an angelic visit, begging them to gather their things and get out of the city. They still lingered there in Sodom, and there was a, the pain to Abram's heart because Lot had become a part of Sodom, and Sodom had become a part of Lot. Troubled Abram too, and in chapter 19, verse 30 to 38, we read that um, after Lot finally got out of Sodom and Gomorrah, that uh, they, you know, his wife turned into a pillar of salt because she looked back to the city as they were fleeing. But so it just left, uh, and then their sons, his sons-in-law, wouldn't leave with them. So here it is, Lot and his two daughters, and they concoct this plan. In verse 31, they say, "Our father is old, and there's no man on earth to come into us, as is the custom of all the earth." And Let's make our father drink wine and we'll lie with him that we may preserve the lineage of our father. So they made their father drink wine that night and the firstborn went in and lay with her father and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Same thing with the younger sister. And they, both daughters got pregnant and both daughters gave birth. One gave birth to a son named Moab, the father of the Moabites, and the other daughter gave birth to a son named Ben-Ami, the father of the Ammonites. And the Moabites and the Ammonites became bitter enemies to Abraham and his descendants, Israel. He wasn't perfectly obedient. Are we? And when we don't perfectly obey, God allows us to reap some serious consequences. second thing that happened that shows that he was not immediately obedient was God said, get out from your father's house. We don't read this until we get to the book of Acts in chapter 7 and in verse 25. I'm sorry, not 725, 7, 2 through 5. The Bible says, Brethren, fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. And he said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of that land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on, but even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. What I want, the verse I want you to hear is that verse 4. He came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran, and from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to, his land, to this land in which you now dwell. Abraham did leave his homeland, which was Ur of the Chaldees, Iraq. But he didn't leave his father's house immediately. He brought his father's house with him. They just left Ur, and they all moved to Haran. So you see, still imperfect obedience and not immediate. He waited for his father to die before he moved towards the land of Canaan. Now remember what Jesus said in, in Luke chapter 9 in a similar situation 
verse 59 and 60. He said to another, follow me. But the man said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus wasn't trying to sound harsh or unsympathetic towards people who lose their loved ones, nor is he in this passage in Acts. But the point is, is that God called Abraham to out of these things, to break ties with all of these things, and he was to respond immediately and perfectly. But he didn't. So Abraham did obey, but it appears that it was imperfect and delayed obedience. Isn't that true so often of us as well? And we don't always realize the consequences of our actions until we start reaping them. I'm sure that once the Moabites and the Ammonites started to come against Israel, Abraham was long gone. And it was in nobody's mind how these enemies came to be. I'm sure if they would trace the lineage back, surely they had the law, they could trace it back and find that, hey, Abraham made a mistake. They're suffering today because of it. But you know, I have to thank God for his faithfulness and his mercy. Because as we see in this next account, God didn't give up on Abram. And he's not going to give up on you and me. When he calls us, he knows ahead of time that our obedience will not be perfect, nor will it be immediate. But he knows along the way, and even in our failures, that we will learn some things about him that we could not have learned otherwise had we not gone on the journey. We could have learned them without failing, but in our failing, he still is merciful to show us himself. Notice verse 5, back in Genesis 12, verse 5, 6, and 7. Then Abram took Sarah his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem as far as the terebinth tree of Morah, and the Canaanites were then in the land. Verse 7, then the Lord appeared to Abram. This teaches us God, even in our imperfect obedience, still meets with us. And he confirms his presence with us. It says God appeared to Abraham. Did God know that Lot was going to cause all these problems? Sure he did. Did God know that that these enemies would be raised up through Lot? Sure, God knew that, but yet God was still confirming his covenant and his call with Abraham, and he appeared to him, and that's what he does with us. He wants us to know, even in our mistakes, even in our failures, that we are on the right path, even if it feels like we're lost. Notice in verse 7 that God gave Abraham yet another promise. Notice what he said. He said, to your descendants, and here's another I will, I will give this land. So what God is promising Abraham here, he's saying, first of all, I, I know your, your obedience was not perfect, it's not perfect, it's not going to be immediate, but I'm calling you out, I'm, I want you to follow me. 
And I've given you all these seven promises, but I've got one more for you. And this wasn't even the end of the story. He said, I'm going to give this land to your descendants, this land of Canaan. What God is promising Abraham here is a reward that he would never live to see. I mean, think about it. First of all, God calls you out to leave everything comfortable and safe. Then he says, I'm going to give you all of these things, and, but most of those seven or eight things you'll never see. Now would you sign up? Look at Hebrews um, chapter 11, verse 8 through 10. By faith, uh, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city who has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. In verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So God is giving Abraham a promise here that, that he'll never enjoy in this life. That's much of how it is to follow the Lord. He doesn't promise us here in this life that everything's going to work out nice and neat and full of happiness and good times and great circumstances. But he does promise us something beyond. He promises he'll be with us, but he promises something greater. Forever in heaven with him. A city that has no builder or maker, that has no earthly restraint. Now, but in chapter 13, verse 14, we see that God tells him, gives him one more promise. Chapter 13, the Lord said, in verse 14, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward. For all the land which you see I give to you and to your descendants forever. I give to you. Before in chapter 13, 12, he just said, I'm, I'm giving to your descendants. But now he said, I'm giving to you. Wherever he says, your foot goes. He said, arise, walk, verse 17, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. So, but still, Abram would never live to see that it would be his. Sometimes as we follow God's call, we don't always enjoy the full benefit of His blessing. He is teaching us to live by faith, not by sight. That's what Hebrews 11 is all about. Genesis 15.6 tells us something, and by the way, Genesis 15.6 is one of the key verses throughout all Scripture. It ought to be highlighted in your Bible. It's mentioned several times in the New Testament. It goes like this, Abraham believed God. And God accounted it to him as righteousness. That's the plan of salvation right there in the Old Testament. It's so much the plan of salvation that it's repeated numerous times in the New Testament. 
The basis of salvation is faith. Abraham believed God and God gave him righteousness. Abraham wasn't always righteous, didn't always act righteous, didn't always make righteous choices, but he believed God. He followed God. He loved God. It was Abraham's faith in the unseen God and his unseen promises and blessings that gave him God's greatest promise and blessing, which was salvation and eternal life and heaven. And the same is true for you and me. Our faith in the unseen God and the unseen promises and the unseen blessings and things that we may not even get to experience here our faith in what God has called us, the, the promises that he's given us, our faith in who he is has guaranteed us salvation and eternal life in heaven. And it makes this life, as difficult as it often is, worth living no matter what. This life is still worth living because God lives with us. Abraham's response was two-part. First of all, he obeyed. It wasn't immediate, nor was it perfect, but God was still with him. God still confirmed his call with Abraham, still gave him the promises. It did not cancel God's promises. Your failures don't cancel God's promises. And if they could, we would all be in hell today. Thank God. But there was a second part to Abraham's response, and that is he worshiped. Look at, back at chapter 12, verse 7 and 8. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. Now look at verse chapter 13, verse 3 and 4. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been before. At the beginning, between Bethel and Ai. So now he's, he's returned back to this original place in chapter 12, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now look at verse 18. And this is after he and Lot parted ways, and after God promised to give him this land... Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and he built an altar there to the Lord. It appears that everywhere Abraham trod, he built an altar to his God. It's as if he was planting the flag, so to speak, claiming the promised land for God. Look at the contrast in verse 8. He built an altar for God, but he pitched a tent for himself. And this is what we're closing with. He built an altar for God everywhere he went. The altars were made of stone. There was a sense of permanence to these altars. It was a stake in the ground, a flag in the heart of the promised land. This is God's land. I am God's man. He is my God. I will worship him. My descendants will worship him. It was a 
stake in the ground. It was a sense of permanence. It was a moment of his declaration of his salvation. It was his profession of faith, if you will. And all of us have to come to that point in our lives where we respond to God's call and we place a stake in the ground. We've made a profession of faith, but we're claiming our lives and and our families and and our churches and, and our communities for God. This is God's land. This is God's country. We're going to worship Him. As Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It was a sense of permanence. He built an altar for God, but it says he pitched a tent for himself. A tent for himself. If the altar was a sense of permanence, what do you think the tent was? Temporary. I hope you understand this ain't your home. You are just passing through. But so many Christians put all their marbles in this life, laying up for themselves treasures here where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break through and steal. You know, I don't worry about people stealing my identity. They don't want it. They can scan my card all they want to in those little scamming scanners. They're going to go, <laughs> never mind, we'll pass on that one. Not that I del- delight in, in that. It's no holiness in being poor. I'm not poor anyway. Just after my bills are paid, I feel that way. What I'm saying is temporary. Abram understood that there was a difference between this land that his feet was trotting on and the eternal place he was heading to. He invested his energies into the eternal, not just the temporary. He built an altar for God, but he pitched a tent for himself. He knew he was just passing through. Hebrews 11, 9. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise. As in what? A foreign country. I may have this one on the screen. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. Dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, They would have had opportunity to return, but now they desire a better that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. 
He was a temporary resident. So are we. So when you're walking with God and you're facing the unknown, the one thing he wants you to know is that whatever you encounter, it's not forever. The joys and the sorrows, the triumphs and the tribulations here in this world are not forever. The riches or the poverty, not forever. The cars, the homes, the bank accounts, the clothes, the, the whatever it is, not forever. This building, not forever. We're, pa we're passing through. So the one known that you can have as you face the unknown, first of all, that, there, that you can know that God is with you. He was with Abraham. You can know that God has promised you more than he's asked you to give up. You can know that there is a place where you're going beyond this world, no matter what happens here. And you can know that no matter what happens here, good, bad, or ugly, it's not forever. So when you look at the unknown, you don't have to be afraid. Because there are some great knowns in the unknown. And so that, gives, that is what gave Abraham great faith to walk with God, even though he did it, like you and I, very imperfectly. We're going to see even later in our study of more mistakes he made and more consequences he had to endure, but yet he was still on the journey with God. And his faith was still developing, as well as his, his uh, trust in God, as well as his patience. Let me pray for us.